Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist podcast from the Socialist Party. Scotland could be a pivotal battleground during the UK's general election. Historically a working class Labour stronghold, years of attacks by the Labour right have eroded the party's support base. Then, the left leadership's mistaken opposition to the democratic right to self-determination handed Scotland to the Scottish National Party. But the SNP has carried on privatisation and austerity, just like Blairite Labour did before it. And the Brexit crisis, plus years of Tory austerity sent up from London, have boosted the mood for independence. This episode of Socialism discusses the general election and Scotland, independence and socialism. I'm Sarah Sachs-Eldridge. I'm the national organiser of the Socialist Party in England and Wales. And today for the podcast, I'm here with Philip Stott and Matt Dobson, who are from the Executive Committee of the Socialist Party Scotland. Hey, Philip. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Matt. Hi. You all right? Good. Good. Okay, so I think people are very interested in what's going on in Scotland. And now we've got a general election. There's a lot to talk about. So firstly... The Scottish National Party, the SNP, has been talking more and more about a second independence referendum, which it links to Scotland voting majority remain in the 2016 EU referendum. Has support for independence grown during the Brexit crisis? And if so, why? Well, the short answer to that question is is yes, it has grown. The last three opinion polls show support for independence at just over 50% which is significantly higher than it has been for the last couple of years. And I think the two main reasons for that is, on the one hand, the Brexit crisis has undoubtedly acted as a way of driving support for independence further. Mm -hmm. But secondly, the coming to power of Boris Johnson Mm -hmm. as the Tory leader in the summer has also added to that mood of seeking an escape, if you like, from austerity, from reactionary Tory governments. And the SNP are working very hard to try and channel that anti-government, anti-Tory, anti-austerity mood towards the general election campaign, which they will fight on two issues. One is, vote for us and we will guarantee you a second referendum on independence and vote for us to stop Brexit. Yeah, and definitely it's also, you can see in the mobilisations, the demonstrations, the all under one banner demonstrations, you will see EU flags. It doesn't dominate the demonstrations, but it is a present feature in terms of since Johnson was Prime Minister, then you can see a real shift in the mood on the streets and the work class areas that people see the workers and you see independence as the main way out of the crisis of austerity, but also a a way out of a reactionary Johnson government. I mean, there's lots of different aspects, but I suppose one to think about is how Scotland has for decades been a Labour stronghold. But after the years of the betrayal of Blairism, Labour then was all but wiped out in the 2015 general election. But now workers have also had experience of the SNP passing on the Tory cuts and privatisation, just like Blair's Labour used to do. And also, Labour has now got an anti-austerity leader in Jeremy Corbyn. So why does it seem then that the SNP are gaining support in the polls while Labour is going in the opposite direction? Well, I think it's important to remember that Labour's collapse electorally in Scotland is a product of two factors. One is definitely years of Blairism, neoliberal policies, support for the Iraq war, all of which drove support for the SNP and independence in general. 
But the second reason, and a very important reason why Labour were eviscerated in the 2015 general election, which followed the independence referendum, was the fact that the Labour Party united with the Tories against independence. Yeah. And to get the national question so wrong, mm. and not to have clarified or admitted a mistake in a very clear way, has actually dogged Jeremy Corbyn, is dogging the so-called left leadership of the Scottish Labour Party, who seem to be making similar mistakes. Certainly Richard Leonard, who's a Scottish Labour leader, is continuing to say we're against independence, we're against the second independence referendum. Jeremy Corbyn, to his credit, has been a bit more nuanced. He said a Labour government wouldn't stand in the way of a second referendum, but Jeremy Corbyn also continues to say we're opposed to independence, we're opposed to the idea of the separation of Scotland from the rest of Britain. And unfortunately, all that can do is, is reinforce in the minds of many working class people and young people that Labour does not defend the right to self-determination, that Labour does not defend democratic rights in Scotland. And that is still plaguing the Labour Party because the current opinion polls would indicate in Scotland that Labour, rather than win seats, could possibly lose mm. some of the seven seats that they continue to hold. And that is a possibility. Yeah, I'd definitely say that there's a perception widespread amongst the working class and radical youth that Labour is against the right to self-determination and independence. And really, unfortunately, since Corbyn was elected and the Richard Leonard election in 2017, and Richard Leonard was seen as being on the left, they've compounded that mistake. And even Corbyn and McDonald's announcement in the summer about we wouldn't block necessarily a second referendum, but Corbyn actually has recently said that it would be not within the immediate period of an incoming Labour government. So it's not even you know, the right of people to decide when they would have that referendum. Mm -hmm. And really, the campaign in 2014, the Better Together campaign, where the Labour Party, you had know, Blairite Labour MPs campaigning on the streets with the Tory party, massive impact in Scotland in terms of the seen as a betrayal. In, they were in, met in, with protests when they came up. Absolutely. The, London, the, the historical base of the Labour Party in the West of Scotland was shattered by that betrayal. Mm -hmm. And obviously that means that there's an obstacle, even when the class issues are raised, you know, mm -hmm. Corbyn had a certain impact in 2017, but it was limited, the recovery in 2017, when Labour went up from the one seat that they held on to in 2015 up to seven. But now the polls show Labour possibly losing all seven of those seats and the SNP regaining them on that basis. And, I mean, the national question is obviously a major feature of the situation all over the world. We've seen in Catalonia that the democratic right to self-determination isn't always as easy as calling for a vote. What do you think the SNP leadership is going to do if it is refused a second referendum by the next Westminster government? Yeah, that's a very important question because I do think we need to put the general election in the context of what result will then drive the national question further in mm -hmm. Scotland. And clearly a Johnson victory, mm -hmm. if that was to be the case, would undoubtedly aggravate the national conflict to an unprecedented degree. I think that Johnson's made clear yesterday in his statement when he was asked about a second referendum for Scotland that there are no circumstances in which a Tory government would allow a second referendum to take place. And what that means is the scene is then set for a Catalonia-type confrontation, mm -hmm. or at least an element of Catalonia. I mean, not that you know the situation is exactly the same. So we could have a situation whereby the democratic right to a second referendum is denied, 
And that then poses the question about how is that to be won? Mm -hmm. And the emphasis that the Socialist Party Scotland would put on that is they need to mobilise the working class and young people through mass struggle, Mm -hmm. like the Catalan masses did two years ago, to come onto the streets, Mm -hmm. to organise mass protests and demonstrations, strike action by workers in the workplaces, occupations of schools and colleges Mm -hmm. to demand the right to a second referendum, no matter whether you support independence or not. And I think that that is going to be an important question. But the SNP leadership are terrified of a Catalonia-type development taking place. Of it going into the hands of the working class. Exactly. They want to avoid at all costs bringing the working class out onto the streets Mm. into an extra parliamentary movement to fight for democratic rights. So they have stated quite clearly at the recent conference just three weeks ago that the only route to independence, the only route to independence is what they called the gold standard agreement between Westminster government and the Scottish Parliament to deliver a legal second referendum. But we're not in that situation now. The British ruling class are terrified of the breakup of the UK. Mm. They're not going to easily allow a second referendum to take place on Scottish independence. And therefore, from that point of view, what's needed is the building of a mass movement mm. to deliver democratic rights, within which socialists and the left would play a decisive role. But the SNP leadership are very, very opposed to that. They're committed to capitalism. They're committed to an agreement with the ruling class on an all-British basis. And therefore, you know, the scene is set for a confrontation. If Johnson was to win, if Corbyn wins then it's a more complex scenario mm-hmm. because there could be a layer of workers and young people in Scotland say, we'll give Corbyn a chance. Well, let's see what he does. If Corbyn was to say you can have a second referendum in 2021 or something like that, if he had negotiated a new deal for Brexit in the interests of the working class, if he actually delivered on some of his anti-austerity, pro-public ownership manifesto, mm-hmm. then it could be that the mood on the national question could recede a bit. We have to see. But certainly a Johnson victory is a completely new situation and it would be explosive on the national question in Scotland if that was to transpire. So obviously we had a referendum in 2014 and I wanted to ask about you know, how socialists approach workers and young people who see independence as the way forward. But I suppose first it might be worth recapping a bit about the 2014 referendum itself. What did the Socialist Party in Scotland mm. do? What was going on? What was the mood? it was a pretty explosive time wasn't it? Yeah you had a a mass politicisation that took place particularly in the end of the summer going into the autumn of 2014 and actually related to what Phillips just explained about the SNP being terrified of losing control of the question of independence and the aspirations of the working class and young people I mean that happened on a, a less profound scale in 2014 but it was quite significant Obviously, when the capitalist class cranked up Project Fear, you had the economic warnings mm-hmm. about the consequence of independence, like Deutsche Bank saying there was going to be a recession and RBS threatening to leave. Working class and young people in Scotland responded to that by filling George Square in Glasgow, having massive rallies, massive public meetings that took place. Was the SNP leadership, in effect, kind of went into hiding in the mm-hmm. last few days. But we, at the time, we were involved in a campaign, the Hope of a Fear Socialist Case for Independence campaign, where we very clearly put forward a socialist programme where we said that you know, we separated the support for independence that existed amongst working class and young people who mm. saw it as a way to change society from the pro-capitalist, pro-market vision of the SNP. And we said an independent socialist Scotland should be based on the question of taking into public ownership the major part of the economy, the oil industry and the gas industry in Scotland, which is 
bedrock of the capitalist economy, nationalising the banks, planning the economy for the needs of the majority, ending austerity, pointing out that the SNP, despite having a devolved parliament, did not use those devolved powers to fight the cuts and they could have set no cuts budgets and mm. demanded the billions of pounds that the Tories have cut over the last decade had not done that. We exposed the capitalist nationalism of the SNP as not being a way out for young people, but we engaged with the consciousness that young people at the time in 2014 and again, possibly in the next few months, will see independence as a way to break out of austerity, to break out of the reality of a capitalist society riven with crisis. And so you know, we were very clear about putting forward a socialist alternative and also the key role of the working class. We started discussions and we mobilised in the trade union movement for democratic discussion of the question of independence and also the key role in the future. If it was another referendum, we would have to organise an independent trade union and socialist campaign that put forward the independent interests of the working class in that political situation. And even before... Corbyn was elected, that was 2014, that got a good response, didn't it? It was big meetings. and I think 35,000 people attended the meetings that we organised all over Scotland and working class housing schemes in the city centres as well. And obviously our comrades from the trade unions on the platform putting forward our programme. And actually there wasn't many other big forums for discussion taking place, was it? It wasn't like the SNP was organising meetings on that scale to give people a chance to... Yes, there was a yes campaign. It was the official yes campaign, but it was a, like a cross-class campaign in the sense that there were elements of big business involved and raising the vague idea of a fairer society but not making clear about the need to break away from capitalism. Since then we've seen workers fighting and fighting and fighting, haven't we? We've had a whole series of big trade union or significant trade union battles lately, Tayside Pharmacy Workers, Cali Rail Yard, and last year, of course, the historic mass strike for equal pay in Glasgow, where members of the Socialist Party Scotland played a leading role. Do you want to tell people a bit about that background? Yeah, I think it's a real example of the mood, but when their leaders governed by the trade unions then workers are prepared to fight and struggle. The examples you've given were all indicative of that. I think the equal pay dispute in Glasgow, the significance of it, it was a a strike against an SNP Mm -hmm. council initially, obviously had promised to resolve the scandalous action of the Labour Council previously in Glasgow who signed up to a completely unequal pay Mm -hmm. arrangement and that discriminated horrendously against working-class women, the lowest-paid sectors. But the SNP dragged their feet. They promised to resolve it. They didn't do it. And the mood in the city in the build-up to last October, when the 48-hour strike took place, was such that the SNP were exposed. They were exposed for being part of the austerity agenda, mm-hmm. or being part of a political elite that was prepared to just be you know, people who carry out Tory cuts on the working class, so much so that the female leader of the Glasgow Council condemned the trade unions, told the women who were preparing to take strike action they didn't know why they were striking. Very arrogant, high-handed, haughty approach. Ironically, the chief executive of Glasgow City Council, also a woman, was involved in trying to threaten the use of anti-union legislation to try and stop the strike from taking place. So we can see that the mood of working-class people is actually to the left of the SNP leadership. You had a teacher's ballot for national strike action last year, won a very significant pay increase by threatening strike action. And more and more it's the case that workers are taking action against SNP politicians, either in Holyrood 
or through the local government, but the SNP have a significant role now in Scottish local authorities. Mm-hmm. It's again and again SNP politicians that workers are coming up against when they're trying to fight to defend their jobs, their communities, on pay and conditions and so on. And that just underlines the point of the need to build a new mass working class party in Scotland. Mm-hmm. The sections of the left in Scotland have capitulated to what we would call Scottish nationalism and that they don't criticise the SNP for carrying out cuts or they call for a vote for the SNP in, in elections. Socialists on a principle basis can't do that. We can't advocate mm. support for austerity politicians that anyone who carries out cuts in Socialist Party Scotland has been fighting and advocate the building of a new mass workers party in Scotland, working with the trade union socialist coalition for the period for a number of years and still advocate that today. It's essential that workers have a party of their own mm. to build a mass movement against capitalism and against cuts. Yeah, I mean, just for the equal pay dispute, the SNP actually over the last 48 hours have announced that there will be a cuts programme in the council uh, this year, 50 million this year, the next year and the year after. Mm. And part of the reason for that is because obviously to settle the equal pay dispute, they had to finance 500 million compensation to the women, which is a fantastic victory for the equal pay workers. But of course, the issue now is that that isn't paid for with a tax on the working class in terms of austerity and also a new pay scheme now has to be implemented that is equality proofed and that again raises the question of of how that will be financed and Socialist Party Scotland members in the local government unison branch in Glasgow played a leading role in Mm. the equal pay strike and we've advocated that the SNP council that were elected in 2017 because that's what happened in a lot of the working class areas particularly the west of scotland that labor were kicked out blair right right wing labor councils were kicked out in the election the smp took power but then carried on the policy of passing on tory cuts as they have done in holyrood but also you know failed to use the financial powers to fight the cuts and obviously that was a key feature of the equal pay dispute the smp have shown themselves to be anti-trade union in the way that they deal with disputes i mean as philip said the equal pay dispute, they attacked the women, but they also even threatened at one point the bin men mm. that came out on strike in support of the women. Um, legally, yeah. you were asking about the Cali Rail Yard in Springburn. This is a rail yard that's been in operation for over 100 years. It's the only place in Scotland which builds locomotives. The workers have demanded the SNP come in and nationalise the rail yard after an asset stripper has basically abandoned it. Mm. And the SNP refused to step in and nationalise that rail yard. There's an ongoing struggle going on with the United Trade Union and the RMT trying to organise those workers, but the SNP have failed to intervene. So increasingly, while you have this process of rising support for independence, at the same time, the SNP are being exposed on the class issues again and again. As Philip said, workers increasingly come up against their anti-trade union position and also the reality of them implementing the cuts. And I suppose over the next few weeks, we've got a shortish election campaign, don't we? And Corbyn's likely, hopefully, I think he should go out and do rallies and make them as big as possible, as open as possible to everybody. But if he was listening now, what would you advise him to put forward at those rallies if he's speaking in Glasgow and Dundee and Aberdeen and so on? Well, I think his anti-austerity manifesto from 2017, if that's repeated, if that's what we have this time around, if he comes and does the rallies, which I think he will do, mm-hmm. that can have a resonance, it can have an impact. I think hundreds of workers will come and listen to Corbyn. But if he wants to really make an impact, if he wants to undercut support for the SNP in Scotland, mm-hmm. they need to deal with the national question properly. And crucially, that will mean two issues. One is 
committing to a clear anti-austerity manifesto, public ownership, commitments to the minimum wage, getting rid of the anti-union laws, but it was also going to have to make clear that Labour got it wrong in 2014, mm. that there's no going to be any repeat of the mistakes that were made when Labour spearheaded Project Fear and acted in the interest of British big business to try and prevent a majority for Scottish independence. It would mean, for example, being absolutely clear that a Labour government under Corbyn will allow a second referendum to take place. It will not block any legislation, what's known as the Section 30 order, that has to be agreed between Holyrood and Westminster to allow a referendum to take place. But he should also be clear and change his opposition to Scottish independence and say that in a referendum... In a second Scottish independence referendum, Labour will reconsider its position, will be prepared to have a discussion through the ranks of the Labour movement, the trade unions, the Labour Party, anti-austerity campaigners, the communities as well, to perhaps reassess their position on independence Mm -hmm. and understand it's possible, as Socialist Party Scotland does, as the militant did previously, Mm -hmm. to defend democratic rights for the Scottish people and still stand for working class unity, still stand for socialism. And that's really summed up in our programme our demands around the national question in Scotland for an independent socialist Scotland that links up on a class basis with a socialist England, Wales and Ireland as a step to a socialist Europe. Mm-hmm. It's perfectly possible to defend the unity of the working class across nations and still stand for the democratic right of the Scottish people to self-determination. So that's what Corbyn has to do. It has to be as clear as that to defend the democratic rights of working-class people in Scotland, of the people of Scotland as a whole, and at the same time commit to a fundamental battle against capitalism to end exploitation and end oppression in all its forms. And that was an issue in 2014, wasn't it, that you had workers in England, for example, not against necessarily the right to self-determination, but worried about the separating out of the working class across the UK. And I suppose the trade union leaders didn't help an understanding of that to come out? Well, I think the issue of the special links that have been built up through hundreds of years of class struggle between Mm. workers in Scotland, in England and Wales and Ireland, we're in favour of maintaining that unity, absolutely. And the key role that the trade unions play, you know, in terms of the opportunities that were missed in maybe 2011 to drive out the Conservative Lib Dem government Mm -hmm. at the time by the trade union leaders on an all-Britain basis. That's also feeded into the mood on the national Mm -hmm. question in the sense that if workers are blocked on the industrial front, then other issues can come to the fore. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's a key issue. You know, we still want the trade unions to organise nationally coordinated action in that way. And I think there's a huge political vacuum in Scotland. In the independence referendum, we also called for a new workers' party in Scotland. We, after the results of the referendum, you know, said a new workers' party should be formed. Others on the left, unfortunately, tail-ended the SNP. But of course, if Labour is to become a mass workers' party, an anti-austerity socialist party, then all the demands that have to be made in terms of driving out the Blairites in Scotland, who are one of the key blocks to a correct position on the national question, but also even a couple of the councils that they still control in Lanarkshire and Inverclyde, where they're still implementing cuts Mandatory deselection of the Blairites is a key Mm. issue. You know, in society in Scotland, you've got a situation where 1% of the population control 50% of the wealth. You have food banks, you have the impact Mm. of universal credit, you have low wages, people struggling to pay the bills every week. The class issues that Corbyn raises get a response from people, but there's also the question of democratic rights. And since 2014, those questions have been 
compounded. There was also a layer of people who support independence who also opposed the European Union mm. as well in terms of the section of the yes support, alienated by the SNP's position on the European Union. Mm. So that is also an audience as well that we can reach with our programme. They recognise it as the bosses club that it is. Okay, well, I think that's all we've got to cover in this podcast, but obviously the website of the Socialist Party Scotland is a key resource, isn't it, for following the events as they develop and produce a paper as well in Scotland, which listeners of this should reach you through the website as well and watch this space. We'll have to come back to discuss with Matt and Philip again, I think after the general election, because Scotland (laughs) is going to be something to watch, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Thank you, definitely. Definitely, yep. Thanks. Thanks a million. Karl Marx said theory is a guide to action. We agree. So here's the latest worker struggles from the last few days. So the big news this week is that the postal workers strike. There's been developments in that, isn't there? Well, you can say that again, yeah. The High Court has passed an injunction which bans the Communication Workers Union from taking strike action despite the resounding vote for strike action which they won on a huge turnout in their national ballot of workers in Royal Mail and Parcel Force who are striking against the spinning off of Parcel Force into a separate company but also against bullying, against high workload, against poverty pay in Royal Mail Group. Socialist Party members in the Communication Workers Union have written this. It will not be lost on the 110,000 CWU posties and many other trade unionists that a strike vote of 97% on a 76% turnout smashing the draconian and undemocratic voting thresholds in the Tory anti-union laws has been ruled out by one single unelected judge acting for the bosses. And they're exactly right to say that. They go on to say that as the CWU leadership has rightly claimed, one motivation is to stop a strike during the general election called by Tory Prime Minister Boris Johnson because he can't govern as he doesn't have a majority. And we think that what this whole scenario shows, yet again, is the anti-worker character of the law under capitalism. It's being used to protect the Tory government and the bullying Royal Mail management. I mean, it's one law for them and another law for us. Now, the CWU Socialist Party members have said we have had regular national reps meetings and an emergency one should be called in the next few days with local gate meetings organised to report back. We're saying that the idea of militant action should be tested out with reps and members, up to and including, if the mood is there, considering defying the law and coming out on strike, despite this decision. Postal workers, in fact, have a proud history of taking unofficial strike action when it's necessary, and we say the best defence against any management offensive is to act together, ideally with properly prepared national action. We think there should be an immediate joint meeting of the General Council, that's the ruling body of the Trade Union Congress, which brings together all of Britain's unions, alongside the Labour leadership of Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell, that this meeting should declare unequivocal support for whatever action the CWU and its members decide to take, and that this meeting should call an emergency national demonstration alongside the CWU on these demands. Number one, support the CWU in the posties. Number two, Defend trade union rights and the right to strike. Number three, repeal the Tory anti-union laws. Number four, renationalise Royal Mail. This could link up with the increasing number of workers taking action during this hot winter. This includes the university workers, McDonald's and a whole number of other workers, which we'll go on to talk about in just a moment. 
Here's Rob Williams, the Socialist Party's national industrial organiser, to give us the latest. First of all, Rob, the High Court has, in a classic show of class prejudice, passed this injunction against the CWU's overwhelming strike vote on a technicality. What was this technicality? I think one of the issues is is that Royal Mail workers open their ballots in work. And this is important because the specific rule is that you're not allowed to hold a vote collectively in the workplace, even though that's clearly the obvious place to do it. That's a democratic way of doing it. But you've got to do it through the post. And this is what the judge is saying they have infringed. Yeah, but of course, the CWU, I think like most trade unions, would like to have a workplace ballot. That didn't actually happen. Sure. What actually happened was in a number of offices, they were able to engage the workforce So they literally posted the ballots together. You know, they didn't do anything more than that. But what it shows is, is that the anti-union laws, it's exposed them really, I think as you said, for their naked class character Mm -hmm. to try and act against the union's ability to act collectively, to organise, and even in this instance to strike. Let's be blunt about this. This is far more broader than that. And this is why it's an issue for the old labour and trade union movement. Okay. The CWU, correctly in my opinion, acted against the spirit of the Thatcher's anti-union laws. Mm -hmm. What they've been done for, is worth explaining, this isn't about the Trade Union Act that was brought in by Cameron. The CWU smashed the undemocratic voting thresholds in Cameron's Trade Union Act. The idea behind the act was that we have no national strike action again. Mm. But what they've been done for you is really by Thatcher's anti-union laws from the 1980s and it shows really that why it's welcome that Jeremy Corbyn wants to repeal the Trade Union Act. We want to repeal all the anti-union laws because the anti-union laws were all about taking workers away from the collective workplace where you could discuss together, vote together, take action together. This was all about isolating and atomising workers, prey to the propaganda of the media, the management So correctly, because the CWU knew they had a hell of a task to get over the threshold, 110,000 workers, CWU smashed the thresholds because they engaged their members, Mm -hmm. they mobilised them. And this point we have to make, there were some people who, I think on the left, misguidedly applauded the decision of the Supreme Court a few weeks ago on the prorogation. And somehow think that they no longer act in the interest of the establishment. This act shows that they absolutely do there are workers out there unfortunately perhaps have been kidded along that boris johnson is somehow an anti-establishment figure Mm -hmm. he is not he is part and parcel of the capitalist establishment along with this judge the judiciary part and parcel of the rich and the capitalist establishment he supports this and if i would say one thing my advice to jeremy corbyn is is that I think he should do a press conference Mm -hmm. in the headquarters of the CWU. I've got no doubt he supports the CWU. I've got no doubt he's disgusted and there's been quotes from shadow cabinet ministers, etc. and the Labour Party. But I think Jeremy should go even further to make it clear, not just to the 110,000 postal workers and their families, he should make it clear to wider trade union movement, to the wider working class, he's on the side of those and get out. He wants to repeal the Trade Union Act he wants to renationalise Royal Mail and I think he needs to go even further to make it explicit. He's on the side of the working class. Boris Johnson's on the side of the rich and the capitalist establishment. And repeal not just Cameron's Trade Union Act but all the previous anti-trade union statutes as well. But 
it's interesting this point about Boris Johnson, who's called a general election, who clearly does not want national strike action setting the tone for this general election. And we've had responses from workers at postal depots today because Socialist Party branches all across Britain have been out visiting postal depots in the light of this undemocratic decision by the High Court to talk to the workers, to offer solidarity and to try and have a discussion where they want to about what should happen next. We've had workers saying us, oh yeah, that judge will have had a phone call of the government saying make sure you put the kibosh on this while the general election's on. And it might not have been as straightforward as that, but there's no doubt that that was part of the judge's considerations, as well as, of course, defending the profits of the privatised Royal Mail Group during the critical period of Christmas. But why don't you just tell us a little bit about some of the reactions that we've been getting at the postal depots this morning, Rob? Well, first of all, I think you're very, very friendly. And actually, I think what it showed is, is the postal workers... You know, when you show them, they're not on their own. When you show them that there's a huge feeling of support and solidarity for them, that other workers instinctively realise that this is obviously a big issue for those postal workers and the CWU, but they realise the wider consequences. And of course, you know, the thing is, this is a government that can't secure a majority. That's the reason we're having <laughs> an election at this time. You know, May and Johnson couldn't get their Brexit deal through Parliament, losing votes of confidence and all the rest of it. And yet you get draconian, undemocratic anti-union laws. You know, the trade unions, the only organisation in society that have to have at least half of the members vote. There won't be a council elected in this country on that basis. What other MP is going to get elected with 76% vote in this election? Mm. And then it's ruled out in this manner. So... What I've found today, and our members have found around the country, is is our postal workers are delighted that they get in the support and solidarity. And that was one of the reasons we visited the offices today, is to show them, look, you're not on your own here. Mm-hmm. The wider working class, the wider labour and trade union movement support, that's an important step that needs to be taken now to give postal workers and the union confidence. That's why we've been calling for an emergency TUC General Council to be organised, but also with John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn present at that meeting. We think there should be an emergency demonstration called on support for the CWU, renationalising Royal Mail, but also defending trade union rights and the right to strike. I think this election, these are the opportunities that Jeremy Corbyn needs to be taking. And I think I agree with you. I think that's why it's been an issue in this decision, because the establishment do not want Boris Johnson's fake pro-worker populism to be exposed. He is not pro-worker. He is anti-worker. He is pro-establishment. He is part of the establishment. And this election would bring all these issues to the fore. Now, we have to say, despite the judgment, these issues are to the fore. Mm. We have to bring to the fore to expose Johnson and to expose the people that support him. So certainly I had a good response when I was out at one of the depots this morning. One of the workers who took a leaflet, read the headline, came back, asked me to give him a stack more to take in to give to his colleagues, which of course we did. And there's been similar reports around the country. Even in a couple of depots in Wales, there have been meetings held by the reps at the gates to discuss the situation with the members, which we think is a very good move and should be happening more generally. Now, as you say, the workers are very angry, but they're understandably feeling a little bit knocked back at this point because of the blow that they've received from the High Court. There are three tactics really available to the CWU now to respond to this, aren't there? So the first tactic would be to simply defy the High Court and say, look, we've got a democratic mandate. We're going out anyway. Tactic number two 
is to go back to the membership and carry out the vote again in order to avoid the technicalities which allowed the injunction this time in the hope that you win the vote the second time just about in time to come out and strike for Christmas. And tactic number three is to challenge the ruling of the court by appealing through the legal system. Now what sort of considerations do you think that CWU members and the CWU leadership will want to take into account when they're weighing up these different tactics? Well first of all I think we have supported and also will continue to support the CWU and they have run two model campaigns because don't forget about a year and a half, two years ago they had their first ballot and that was a fantastic vote as well. This one is incredible and they've done it through a fantastic campaign mobilising and engaging the members. They have had a tradition constantly through this to have regular meetings in the workplace, regular reps meetings and I think Clearly, the first thing is to consult the members. I know they had a Facebook event last night and they should be, I think, looking at the national reps meeting and consulting the members on the way forward. I don't think any of this is either or, by the way. Mm -hmm. You know, the union is obviously looking seriously at the appealing decision. They're looking at reballoting. Those are fair points. But I don't think they also rule out the possibility of other action taking place. In the Facebook event last night, I think the union leadership were looking at withdrawing goodwill in the offices. A signal has to be sent, doesn't it, to Royal Mail and the government. So when you say withdrawing goodwill, you mean not doing overtime? It's like most workplaces, the fact that workers go over and beyond you know, what they're contracted to do. Sure, especially uh, in Royal Mail. Exactly. So there's issues like that. But of course, then is the issue about postal workers have got great traditions. First of all, of solidarity. I've been on millions of picket lines where Postal workers refused to cross the picket lines to deliver mail. That's why, by the way, there's huge support for the postal workers and the union. Mm -hmm. But there's obviously another tradition that certainly locally, when reps and members are victimised or bullied, they take action. That's already happened. Unofficial strikes. In, in the last yeah, the last weeks and months, even during the balloting process. And I think that's that's likely to happen. All you need is one Royal Mail manager to try and push themselves around. The question has posed here, is it better to have that organised, collective, mm. rather than sporadic? And therefore, I suppose we can say what the CWU can't say officially because obviously they're wary of being sequestrated, etc. You mean having their funds taken away under the anti-union laws? Yeah, I think there's a discussion to be had. Do you look at a day in the next days or weeks, if you like, where you send a signal is it possible to act together on one particular day? Mm -hmm. That's a discussion I think the CWU and obviously postal workers need to discuss. Can I be properly prepared for? Mm -hmm. That would then send a signal and raise members' confidence on the way forward. And of course, that's a difficult one for the CWU because what it does, if you like, in an official capacity, what it does in their internal discussions, I don't ever think. But what you would want to avoid is leaving too long a gap so that the critical window when you can do the most damage to the employer of the general election and the Christmas period is completely missed. And the CWU, I'm sure, will be very anxious to do what they can to stop that happening. Yeah, clearly what they're trying to do now is, is make sure that there's no vacuum. That members feel they're getting a lead, they've got a way forward. Exactly. This is why I think the support and solidarity of the wider Labour and Trade Union movement is important. To get the message over, if you like, to the union and to the members, you're not alone here. And that's why it is absolutely essential that people who are listening to this podcast, people who are listening to this interview, if you're in a trade union, get onto your respective unions mm. and say, 
Why aren't we calling a TUC General Council? Why aren't we discussing an emergency demonstration in the next week or two on trade union rights, on defending the CW, renationalising Royal Mail? That's the type of discussion that we need. And, and like I said earlier, not just simply a General Council of the TUC, one where McDonnell and Corbyn are present, because that sends a signal in this situation that they are clearly on the side of the workers and the postal workers in particular. Thanks very much, Rob. And what else is happening, James? Like the CWU dispute, we have talked about the University and College Union, UCU dispute, in previous episodes. They've now announced eight days of strike action in 60 separate universities, running from the 25th of November to the 4th of December. And this planned action is big. It could affect up to a million students. Now, the union leadership swiftly calling for strike action ensures that the issues which were discussed during the ballot, during the vote to take the action, are still fresh in members' minds. And it also shows both the members and the management the union is serious about fighting. So it's very good the leadership has done this. And the eight days of consecutive action, say our members in the university and college union, reflects the increasing confidence and militancy within the union, which is also to be welcomed. If it goes ahead, the strike will finish just days before the general election, which may be advantageous to the UCU members if management feels under pressure from the Tories to avoid national action during the campaign. They might be forced to settle. And bringing two campaigns together into one strike, and there are two campaigns, the first is on pensions and the other is on paying conditions, Bringing those two campaigns together has meant that more universities can take part in the strike at the same time. And strategically, they also made a very good decision in disaggregating the ballot. Now, that means that rather than having to vote across the entire university workforce at once, each individual university was treated as its own strike vote, which means that rather than having to get the entire membership across the entire country to reach a 50% turnout threshold in order to be able to legally take strike action. If any individual universities didn't hit that, they could be left out, but the universities who did hit it could come out on strike and you can use that to build the momentum going forward. So this is one of the ways round the anti-trade union laws and it's worked marvellously. Other trade union leaderships should take note. As the next step, we are calling on all students and all trade union activists and all local campaigners to support the university staff's fight against attacks on pay and working conditions and certainly socialist students' societies will be organising solidarity campaigns on campuses. The other disputes, of course, has been a strike of McDonald's workers, which was very successful. Six sites in South London on the main demand is for £15 an hour but also for shifts to be notified in advance for weeks so they can plan their lives, a choice of guaranteed hours up to 40 hours a week so that they can actually earn enough to live on, and finally recognition of the Baker's Food and Allied Workers Union. Recognition, of course, means that the union has the right to deal directly with management on behalf of the staff. One of the strikers, Melissa, said, We've had enough of choosing between paying the gas or buying food, of not being able to buy new shoes for work. There's two other strikes as well, Scott. There's, of course, a strike of three hospitals in the home counties in southeast England, where facility staff are going to be coming out against being moved out of direct NHS employment into what is called a wholly owned subsidiary. So it's a separate company, still technically owned by the local NHS trust, but because it's not direct NHS employment, those workers only have their terms and conditions guaranteed for a couple of years, and then they could be driven down beneath the national terms and conditions agreed in the NHS. So it's a kind of step towards backdoor privatisation, a way of dividing up the workforce. They're coming out on strike against that. And finally, an historic strike 
actually, on South Western Railway of 27 days over December and the Christmas period called by the RMT Union. And this is against so-called driver-only operation. And there's been disputes for a couple of years on this, actually for many years, by the RMT. What it means is that at the moment, guards on trains have very important safety duties the management wants to take these safety duties away from guards and put all of the safety duties solely on the driver, who of course is up at the top of the train and can't come down while the train is in motion. This is an obvious step towards being able to cut the guards' workforce, so it is about defending the jobs of the guards, but also about making sure that you've got two people on every train who are able to carry out safety duties and keep passengers safe. So, it's a hot winter, there's a lot going on, and what a fantastic time to be coming out on strike when we've got an opportunity to kick the Tories out of office. Now, speaking of that, Scott, I think you've got some updates for us on the general election campaign. Yeah, and the main issue dominating the general election campaign this week is the NHS, mm. which, of course, is a key issue of the general election campaign, a key issue for working-class people in this country. So in the Socialist newspaper this week, we carry an article about an 88-year-old woman who spent six and a half hours waiting to be seen at an A&E unit at Queen's Medical Centre in Nottingham. <sighs> he shows the crisis A&Es are in. That day, the centre actually declared a critical incident, which basically means its ability to deliver critical services was threatened. Now, this is one level up from Opal 4, as it's called, which is a black alert, which had been reported for several days previously. So there were warnings that this was going to happen. And a black alert is defined as an inability to deliver comprehensive care, placing patient safety at risk. So this latest incident is one above that, so you can see the seriousness of it. Now, the 88-year-old woman was actually a retired NHS worker herself, and she said herself, this isn't a winter crisis, it's a Tory crisis. Mm. And that really sums her up. So the BBC discovered that in 2018, there were two other NHS trusts which spent more than 120 days at this level. Opal 4? Yes. A black alert? Yes. 120 days? That's right, yeah. And it shows the crisis that accident and emergency departments are in. And it shows the crisis which the NHS is in generally, you know, really starkly. It's a symptom of all the cuts to the NHS and social care mm-hmm. and Tory attacks and privatisation. It's a result of closures and of funding that's worsened definitely since the Tories have been in power since 2010. The NHS is short of 100,000 staff. 94% of NHS bosses say the building's in danger, patient safety. That's just the buildings, <laughs> let alone the crisis taking place in them. And of course, the private finance initiative which has been used by both Blairite governments and Tory governments. It's been used to build £12.6 billion worth of hospitals. They're the ones responsible for some of these buildings, and they're costing the NHS £80 billion in repayments. Now, 18% of NHS work is already privatised, and it's in danger of being destroyed, even more by the Tories, especially if there's a US trade deal after Brexit. Now, the Tories refuse to sign an election pledge to say that will not happen. Mm. And on the A&E crisis itself, Boris Johnson claimed this week that the waiting time figures are simply down to huge demand. (laughs) Yet Corbyn has rightly stated that the missed targets are down to a lack of staff and a lack of funding. And doctors themselves have warned that the system is imploding, saying that A&E waiting times in England are the worst since records began. Now Labour, under Corbyn on the other hand, they've promised to end all privatisation in the NHS, as well as increase funding and staff numbers, which are both vital. And we say that the NHS must be fully funded, fully staffed, public, no privatisation and free at the point of delivery under the democratic control of NHS workers and users. 
And we also say, don't we, that the pharmaceutical industry, which is responsible for enormous price hikes and completely unreasonable costs in the NHS, ought to be nationalised as well as all the outsourced sectors of healthcare and brought into that same system of public ownership, democratic workers' control and management to keep the costs down. That's right, yeah. And of course, the workers themselves have a massive role to play in this, mm. especially against outsourcing and bringing privatised services back, as we're seeing at the strike action in Frimley and other hospitals in the home counties, which you've mentioned. Thanks very much, Scott. Thanks. Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party, the England and Wales section of the Committee for Workers International. This week we heard from Philip Stott and Matt Dobson, speaking to Sarah Sachs Eldridge, along with Rob Williams, speaking to James Ivans and me, Scott Jones. Help us spread the word by giving us a five-star review and subscribing so you don't miss out. And don't forget to recommend us to your co-workers and friends. We want you to send us recordings from picket lines and campaigns and reports of your activity. And we want your questions, comments, and ideas for future episodes. Email socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. If you agree with the policies and actions the Socialist Party in England and Wales is fighting for, we need you. Join our fight for a winner's strategy in the labour and trade union movement. Join the Socialist Party now. Send us your details at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash join. You can read more about Socialist Party Scotland and give them your details to join at socialistpartyscotland.org.uk. If you live outside England, Wales or Scotland, but want to join the fight for socialism in your country, contact the Committee for Works International by visiting socialistworld.net. Socialism, the podcast, has no wealthy backers. We survive thanks to the financial support of ordinary working class and young people, and we're proud of the political independence that gives us. If you like what you hear, help us take the fight to big business. You can make a regular donation or a one-off payment at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash donate. Till next time, solidarity.